This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends. Welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Did you know that poor diet is the leading cause of disease worldwide? Diets low in fruits and vegetables contribute significantly to some of the world's most widespread and debilitating nutrient-related disorders, which is why many of us garden, right? We want to include those fruits and vegetables in our diet. And if we have limited space, we need to be particular about what we're planting. When I help people plan their gardens, I'm always reminding them to go back and review their why. If your goal for your garden is to reduce your family's food budget, for instance, like mine was in the beginning, beginning, then maybe the things you should prioritize planting are the things your family eats the most or things that cost you the most in the grocery store or at the market. But if we're gardening to increase the overall nutrition our family consumes, does that mean that we should be focused on planting something other than our most purchased items? And if it's all about saving dollars, can we grow things that make us feel fuller for longer because they're more nutritious? Which fruits and vegetables degrade the most from the time they leave the farm to when they hit our plate? Which fruits and vegetables are the most nutrient-dense overall? On today's episode, I'll give you the rundown on some studies that have been done about which vegetables decline in nutrition the fastest, which ones are the most nutrient-dense overall, and what we need to do in our own gardens post-harvest to preserve those nutrients that we've worked so hard to grow. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. Okay, first things first, I need you to file what I'm about to tell you under the do as I say, not as I do category. I mean, I'm sort of kidding, but hear me out. This episode airs March 7th, and I just spent the past two days doing something I've never done this early, planting cabbage. So if you go way back to episode 52, which I'll link to in the show notes, when I talked about growing cabbage, I said for spring planting, you'll want to plan to set your plants outside about two to four weeks before your last expected frost, which is generally when I plan them for. I started my cabbage a few weeks ago, anticipating that I would transplant them out into my gardens the week of March 19th or maybe the following week. Now, those plants are all doing well out in the greenhouse right now, and they're on track to be transplanted in a few weeks. Our last frost is typically between like the 15th and 20th of April. So why am I planting so early? Well, I went to a local plant auction last week to pick up plugs for the herbs I generally don't start from seed for whatever reason. It's something I do every year to save myself the headache of either taking cuttings and propagating from there, like with rosemary, or starting things that take a really long time to grow from seed, like oregano or thyme. So I will pot these up for my own use in my own gardens, and I also will pot them up for sale to my customers. Well, while I was there, I got a good deal on some 
some brassica starts, and there were four trays of cabbage included in that. They were all healthy and the perfect size for transplanting. It just so happens that I had been checking the soil temperature of the barn bed where my uh, spring cabbage is going to be planted, and last week it was already up to 48 Fahrenheit. Now, cabbage likes air temperatures between 39 and 75 Fahrenheit, about 4 to 24 Celsius, but not extended time periods above or below that. Now, that below temperature is why I typically wait until about four weeks before our last frost to plant. We can have nights down into the teens and days only in the mid-20s pretty frequently up until that point. But I had the plants, the soil temperature was fine, it was nice and warm the past two days, and the 10-day forecast only shows a handful of days where we'll dip below 39. And I have frost cloth, so I went for it. It was a great opportunity for me to get something in the ground and knocked off my list because my potato field isn't ready yet and we're looking at three or four days in a row of rain. So I really wouldn't want to plant my potatoes ahead of that anyway. So I managed to get six rows of cabbage and three rows of onion sets planted in between them. And it was 73 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday. I couldn't help myself. It was beautiful outside. I'm just going to have to find space for all the seedlings that are waiting in my greenhouse that have just been booted from their in-ground space by the ones that I planted. And I will absolutely document all this in my garden journal so I can compare to previous years and see how well this works. These cabbage may not get to maturity any earlier, or it may be a case that we're having a warmer than usual start to the spring, and they wouldn't have formed their heads if I had waited any longer. So that's why we write these things down. So why am I telling you this? Because I can give you all the advice and guidance in the world. You can read book after book and blog after blog about how to grow specific crops in specific ways. And what it comes down to is your climate and your garden are unique to you. You have to be proactive in knowing what your typical weather patterns are, checking your soil temperatures, knowing your frost dates, watching the weather, and having emergency provisions like the frost cloth on hand, and just make the decision for yourself. I always say, with cool weather crops, gardeners tend to plant too late, and with warm weather crops, they plant too early. So may your soil temperatures and air temperatures be your muse and your garden journal be your guide. All right, let's talk nutrition. There is a reason that I include the nutritional value of every crop when I do crop-specific episodes. I think it's important that what we're spending so much time on growing in the garden not only tastes good, but is fueling our bodies, too. Studies have shown that foods higher in protein and fiber are more satiating. They make us feel fuller longer, regardless of the energy density of the food. In other words, higher calories don't necessarily mean we feel full. Now, this is often cited in terms of dieting. Remember what I said about celery last week? It was a popular food in the 70s and 80s diet culture because it made you feel full while carrying very few calories. Now, if you're trying to cut calories in order to lose weight, that might be a good thing. 
Some fruits and vegetables have very low energy density. Those foods are a challenge to overeat, especially if you're not adding like fattening dressings or dips to them. But what about nutritional density? What if what we're eating makes us feel fuller, not just because of the level of fiber or protein, but because our body has gotten the nutrition it needs regardless of the calories? There is a difference between the terms satiation and satiety. Satiation occurs when we feel full immediately after eating and we don't want to eat anything else at the moment. Satiety is a longer-term phenomenon that occurs when we obtain enough of all the essential nutrients like the vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and fatty acids that our bodies need. So we don't get the chemical hunger cues for food for a longer period of time. Our body has what it needs. And interestingly enough, the level of satiety goes up based a lot on the amino acids we consume, nutrients like potassium and phosphorus and calcium, and the vitamins like folate and niacin. So this is why we can eat a yummy, sugary donut and feel satiated for a little while, but then we start feeling hungry again much more quickly than if we had had, say, a baked potato. A plain baked potato is about 160 calories. The calories come from carbs and some protein, but also lots of vitamin, vitamin C, potassium, magnesium, iron, and calcium. You can add a little butter and sour cream to up the calories, and now we're about 260 calories. You've got some more calcium and more fat, some more carbs and protein, and a little bit of sugar. Now, compare that to a standard glazed donut that also has 260 calories, but it is comprised of mainly fat and carbs and has very little nutrition, a little bit of fiber and protein, plenty of sugar, some sodium, and that's about it. So same calorie count, but which one keeps us feeling fuller for longer? The baked potato. And that has to do with nutrient density. Now, obviously, that's not a fair comparison. And goodness knows, I love a good donut. But it's a great example of how the nutritional content of what we eat makes a difference in how full we feel. There is an epidemic in the U.S. particularly of very poor families turning to the dollar menu at fast food places for the majority of their meals. Why? Because it's cheaper to buy three items off that dollar menu for each member of a family of four than it is to buy fresh vegetables in the grocery store. But what if we take a different approach to that? That $12 for that meal for four people combined across five meals per week adds up to $60 that could be spent on fruits and vegetables and a few protein sources. That $60 not only could stretch out over the course of the week into more than just those five meals, but the family will likely feel fuller for much longer than if they rely on that fast food meal only. They may feel full immediately after eating the fast food meal because of the fats and the sugars and the sodium it contains. But the nutritional value of those whole foods over the long haul will be more satiating. The effect extends far beyond just one meal when you're consistently getting the nutrition your body needs. Now, I'll be honest, this is something that I wished I'd known about when my kids were very little and I was on such a tight budget. I tended to buy the boxed cereals and the prepackaged meals because they were cheap and they filled my kids' bellies. 
if I had realized that the fresh fruits and vegetables that were definitely more expensive would have filled up those bellies with less and kept them fuller longer and improved their health overall, I would have done the math on the food budget a little bit differently. I also would have started gardening earlier than I did. But we don't know what we don't know, right? Which is why I say when you're planning your garden, you need to keep your goals in mind. And if your goal is to either decrease the family food budget or increase the nutritional content of your foods, or maybe both, then choosing the right vegetables to grow may be your starting point for deciding what to plant. Because the problem doesn't just stop at the foods we're eating. How the nutrition of that fruit or vegetable holds up before it gets to the grocery store is one more piece to the puzzle. There can be a significant amount of time between when a fruit or vegetable is harvested to when it reaches the grocery store shelves and ultimately your plate. During that time, the produce can experience some significant nutrient degradation. This depends on the item and the way it's handled post-harvest, and some definitely degrade much more quickly than others. According to a report by UC Davis, here in the U.S., fruits and vegetables grown in North America may spend up to five days in transit following harvest before finally arriving at a distribution center. Transportation time for fruits and vegetables grown in the Southern Hemisphere for consumption in the U.S. ranges from as little as a few days, if transported by air freight, to several weeks, if sent by refrigerated ship. Yes, several weeks weeks. And then once they get to the store, those fruits and vegetables may spend one to three days on display prior to being purchased by us, and then we may store them for up to a week prior to actually consuming them. That is a significant length of time from harvest to plate. And a lot of that nutrient degradation that those fruits and vegetables are experiencing is specific to those micronutrients we were talking about. Things like vitamin C, B6, A and E, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, etc. Let's take that first one, vitamin C, as an example. Vitamin C losses in vegetables stored at 39 Fahrenheit or 4 Celsius for seven days range anywhere from a 15% loss in sweet peas to 75% loss in spinach and 77% loss in green beans. Now, the colder the produce is kept, the slower the losses, which is why most produce is shipped at temperatures around 32 Fahrenheit or 0 Celsius. But that temperature ends as soon as it gets to the store shelves and then moves into most of our home refrigerators. Most of us don't keep our refrigerators that cold. So which fruits and vegetables lose their nutrients the fastest? Which ones should we try to grow ourselves if they're in our diet in order to preserve those nutrients? We'll talk about that right after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
It's time to get moving on the gardening season and the folks at Elm Dirt have us covered. From potting mix to worm castings, their fantastic plant juice and bloom juice, even their new kelp mist foliar spray, they've got what we gardeners need for starting and growing plants of all kinds. They've even got gift bundles for the beginning gardener or the plant lover in your life. Listeners of this podcast get a free bottle of bloom juice with any purchase from Elm Dirt. So head to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash dirt and use code justgrow at checkout for your free bottle. The link is in the show notes. So in order to create this list, I dug through all kinds of resources, reviewed the initial nutrient density of that fruit or vegetable, the resulting loss of several different nutrients due to fresh storage, and the conditions under which those items were stored. Now, this list is not at all comprehensive because certain fruits and veggies degrade differently. So I looked at the overall number of nutrients that were lost and just did the best I could in terms of this not being a paper for a scientific journal, okay? Um, I will link to those reports and studies and web pages in the show notes if you want to take that deep dive yourself, okay? <clears throat> All right, here we go. These are in no particular order with the exception of number one, and number one is spinach. No matter which source I looked at, spinach seemed to lose so many of its nutrients very quickly when not stored at exactly above the freezing point, and the losses seemed to start almost immediately. I mean, if we just take a look at vitamin C, within a day of being harvested and held just slightly above freezing, spinach lost 64% of its vitamin C. That's insane. It also shows significant losses in thiamine and riboflavin and all kinds of other micronutrients. So I put spinach at the top of my list of veggies that you would want to grow yourself to get more intact nutritional content. Now, next on the list is berries. Berries in general have a short shelf life as it is, and they're often harvested just barely ripe, ripe enough to look good, but not to really taste like much <laughs> because they need to be shipped and they still have to make it to the store shelves looking good. So number one, they may not have fully developed all of the nutrients that would normally be available if they were picked at the peak of ripeness. And then that short self Shelf life also means a short lifespan for the nutrients that are in those berries. Now, another one on the list is green beans. That is a staple in my household. Green beans lose a lot of nutrients if not kept very, very cold and consumed pretty quickly. We're especially talking vitamin C along with all the B vitamins. Carrots are on this list. Um, carrots in the store tend to have been in storage for an extended period of time before getting to you because they're what's considered good keepers when it comes to commercial sales, which means they can be stored for a long period of time and still look good and be crisp in texture. But this isn't telling you a whole lot about the nutrient content of them. This also means they've been losing nutrients that whole time. So I'd opt for homegrown if you can swing it. And then to round out the list, we've got any of the summer squashes. The thing about zucchini and yellow squash and any other summer squash is that they are transported and stored at higher temperatures, usually around 50 Fahrenheit, because they have a high sensitivity to chilling injury. You'll see pitting on the surface, sunken lesions, and some dehydrating on the ends of the squash if they're exposed to lower temperatures for too long in transit and storage. 
which makes the fruits less than attractive, and then they're unable to be sold. But this also means the nutrients are degrading more quickly than if they were able to be stored at a colder temperature. So to round out my five, spinach, berries, green beans, carrots, and any of the summer squashes. Now, there are lots of other fruits and veggies out there that can start to degrade pretty quickly after harvest, like asparagus and cucumbers and sweet corn. And they all have their specific nutrients that they are high in. But I didn't include those in the list because they don't have as much of a well-rounded nutritional profile as the others. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't grow them if you have the space because you'll definitely get a better quality product and the nutrients they do have will be much more intact than if you get them from the store. But the ones I mentioned in the list have a higher level of nutrients across the board and they were the most volatile volatile in terms of nutrient loss. So that's why they were my top five. Now, if you grow these at home, what do you do to keep those nutrients intact until you get to eat them? The big thing about growing these at home is that you can harvest as you need them. If you can plan succession plantings where you don't need to harvest everything all at once, you can harvest what you need when you need it and bring them into the kitchen just before you plan to eat. That is the most nutritionally dense food you can possibly eat. Next, we need to know how each one should be cleaned and stored properly. Now, for each crop episode we do here, I always include the harvest and storage practices, and that's so you can familiarize yourself with these things for each item that you're growing. Harvesting and storing at the right temperature will keep the nutrients from degrading before you get a chance to eat them. I will leave a few guides for you in the show notes. And then finally, know that in terms of preserving nutrients, frozen fruits and vegetables retain more of their nutrients than anything that we can or dehydrate. Just the sheer act of boiling or pressure canning any fruit or vegetable is going to degrade the nutrients more than freezing them at their peak. And if you're dehydrating something at any temperature above 140 degrees, you are also dramatically decreasing the level of nutrients in that item. Now, does that mean I'm going to freeze my green beans from now on instead of canning them? Uh, absolutely not. We cannot stand frozen green beans. And so a canned green bean with fewer nutrients is better for me than the frozen green bean that I won't eat at all. In the end, you have to do what's best for you and your family. And that's what it boils down to with everything, right? Do the best you can. If you can't manage to grow any of the things that were on this list, look at getting them directly from a farmer at the farmer's market. In most instances, that item has been harvested within the previous 24 hours and sometimes within just a few hours of you buying them. Barring that, look at buying these items frozen in the store if you and your family will eat them that way. That doesn't include green beans for us, but just about everything else. The nutrients are going to be more preserved than if you buy the fresh version that's been shipped and stored, rather than flash frozen within hours of being harvested. It's all about making the best choices that we possibly can. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating the most nutritious garden that you can, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. 
For more information about today's topic, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com, where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. All of the essential nudians... Nudians? <laughs> nudians. Easy for you to say. Which ones should we try to grow ourselves if they're in our diet and we want to presume... I am not. That What are you trying to say? That makes no sense. The nutrients are going to be more preserved than any than if you... What are you talking about? I am having all kinds of problems with this. Let's just go ahead and type that in. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.